Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1240 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And thank you for joining us, as always. Make this your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, among other platforms that carry podcasts. And this is a part two of sorts. Myself and Glenn Willis talking about John Collins. If you missed it on this same feed moments ago, even, we posted a show talking about Danilo Gallinari. It's kind of a two-part episode, one conversation with myself and Glenn talking about power forward. So Gallo is available on this same feed. Feed, and this is part two with myself and Glenn talking about John Collins. Without further delay, we'll dive right in. Here's the intro, and then we'll be back with myself and Glenn on John Collins. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Collins is interesting too. Uh, we could probably do an hour on Collins. <laughs> we won't on this show because uh, you have other things to do, Glenn, and so do I. But um, obviously, Collins is in a totally different situation than Gallinari. He just finished year one of a five-year deal. He'll be 25 in September. He missed some time this year. He did play almost all of the way last year, plus the entire playoffs. So um, there is, uh, I saw, I saw a few at least in the YouTube comments, which are always a little bit troublesome sometimes. Um, <laughs> some, some pushback on like him being injury prone now or something like that. I don't really buy that. He had two injuries at the same time. They're both kind of fluky, so I don't really worry about that too much. But you know, his 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 per game production was down this year. I thought Collins played pretty well, which we'll of course get into. Um, but where are you at with Collins, just like broadly speaking, because I don't know if it's anecdotal or what. I feel like some Hawks fans and even like radio hits I've done, uh, people kind of ask like the framing on Collins is a little bit disappointing in terms of the way he's being viewed. I don't really share that, but I also think it was also foreseeable to see because as soon as a guy signs a big contract, there's this belief always that they're just going to become a different player. Like there's something going to be 25% better because they signed a big contract. I think he's kind of the same guy he was before, which is not a bad thing. I think he's also not like he's not a superstar either, but, uh, I find myself being higher on Collins than most at this point, and maybe that's just because of me, but uh, where, where are you at on him now? Yeah, it feels that way to me, too, when I'm having conversations about him and such. I I, I still think it's fair to say he's improved every year uh, that he's been in the league. He was uh, the, This season was different for me. We can get into that a little bit. It, it, he showed up a little bit differently this year than past season, but I still think he was improved. Um, and and the, the thing for me is – you know, when you look at the contract, which is elevate expectations, when I'm having a conversation with someone in Collins, uh, some of that comes down to like how serious of an NBA fan or how serious a Hawks fan. And I, I'm not saying that talking down at all. Like people can yeah. be casual fans. People can be like really into the X's and O's or not care about that. That is all fine and welcome. And I love talking about it no matter what. I'm not going to get dragged into kind of you know huge arguments about that. <laughs> But the thing for me is that, like, if you're trying to talk, say to yourself, he needs to be arguably the second best player on the team with that contract, which I don't think is the right way to look at it, then Collins is n- never going to get there if you're thinking about trying to build, like, a 55-win team, right? He's probably going to be that third, you know, from a statistical perspective and just a general perception perspective, you know, he'd be more in that third, you know, kind of kind of best player um, and in, in addition to that, I still think people struggle to recognize how um, uh, how much he has sacrificed in, in a way to play with Clint, right? Uh, oh, yeah. the, you know, Clint getting all, you know, so many dives to the rim, so many opportunities in the pick and roll, and it, which, you know, he should. Clint's capable of what, that's his best 
um, you know, area of skill and what he does best on offense. And John has, for long stretches, set up at the three-point line. Now he's a capable three-point shooter, but he's not as dynamic there. And so I think that all has to be taken into consideration. I still, when I try to think of um, a guy who can play a power forward and center, who can finish at the rim the way he does, and is basically a 40% three-point shooter when healthy the way he does, which allows you, and I think this is the biggest thing for me, is he can play with another big who can only dive, like Clint. He can play with another big like Gallo, who is better just standing on the perimeter, like Gallo, right? And Akongwu, diving, he go, and the, the versatility and to be able to kind of mix and match him with really any other kind of big adds so much value when you go to construct lineups and construct the rotation and think about how all that fits. His ability to slide in and play center the way he did so much against Miami um, for the front part of that series this year means that you don't necessarily have to go out and get a third center who might have to play when there's automatically, when there's foul issues or when there's an injury, he can kind of slide into that spot. You can move, say, Hunter up to the four and kind of fill in the wing that way. So that positional versatility and the skill versatility brings so much to helping you construct roster, lineups, rotation that doesn't always convert into the stat sheet results, right? That doesn't always give you that. So I think his versatility is unique. I can't think of another player who has the combination of finishing at the rim in the pick and roll, shooting at the three-point line in the pick and roll, popping out there or spotting up like he does. And I think when you're building around a heavy pick and roll guard like Trey, like I can't imagine coming to the realization of we need or the thought we need to move him just doesn't make any sense to me on this team. <laughs> now, if you have a chance to go get like a top, say, 15 to 20 player, sure. in a real hypothetical sense, everybody except Trey has to be on the table. So I want to be clear on that. But I think you have to be very mindful. And I said this when I wrote his season review at Peace Through Hoops was, if you move on from him, you have to accept that it's reasonably possible. You're never going to get a player like him to pair with Trey ever again that gives you the diving and the shooting, the speed and transition uh, and all of that. And so I just think that's important. Does that mean that I think he's like going to be an all-star like for two, three years? And I, I have no idea, right? Does that mean that I think he's going to be um, one of your best three defensive players on a really good team? Probably not ever going to kind of quite get there, but that versatility to kind of fit him into so many different lineup constructs, super, super valuable for my view. And I think that needs to be understood. No, I'm glad you said that. And I think that, it gets underplayed and look, it is possible that people that watch him every day, like you and I do are maybe overrating it. And maybe that's the case. I don't know. But I think the fact that he can do so much and look, he's not a perfect player. No one's saying that. Like he, he's not, a, for instance, he's not, he's not a great playmaker, Like he, but he's improved there to your point at the very beginning. He's improved every year. This year he had a career best assist rate and a career best turnover rate. Those are good things. He never, he never turns the ball over. He does. He, he passes the ball better than he used to. It's not great by any means, but he's gotten better there. He's not a great creator on the perimeter. Like he's not going to be the guy who is your number two like perimeter shot creator. And I think that's what I think that's the place that people thought he was going to be able to fill that he has not done, which is I think was unrealistic the whole way. Like he's a, he's more of a play finisher, and that's okay. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I think forever I thought this probably for two years, maybe even three seasons now. I think his, the stuff that he does on the supporting side is has been underrated, and it still is. I think he's a better defender than people people give him credit for. I don't think he's Draymond Green defensively. No one's saying that. You didn't either. But, like, I think he's pretty much fine to good. Like, he's pretty solid. And at the four, 
he's big. Like he does stuff at the four that a lot of teams don't have because a lot of teams are playing small at the four. And there's there's benefits to that too. But he's a good rebounder. He plays pre- decently in space. He's gotten better there too. Not going to be a lockdown guy, but all that. Uh, he truly is an elite finisher, and he's always been an elite finisher. That's that cannot be un- uh, can't, that can't be overstated. He's great at that. And you mentioned it, but the the shooting development that he's had remains crazy. I know we're kind of used to it now. But if you told me three years ago he was going to post three seasons in a row of like 38, 39% three-point shooting for three years on decent volume, I would have laughed you out of the gym. And he just did it. And like he was a non-shooter in college, truly a non-shooter. And now he's doing this for three, for three, four seasons now in a row. So all that said, like we know what his limitations are. We know what he can and can't do. I get that. And I agree with you. I think that for the Hawks to win a championship, which is the goal, obviously, um, he can't be your second best player. I don't think, I mean, maybe there's a team, maybe there, maybe there's a Pistons team, a 2004 Pistons team where like you have Trey and then four of the top 50 guys in the league next to him. And maybe mm-hmm. in that sense he could be, but like in the traditional hierarchy of a team, when you usually have two or three, maybe four guys who are your high end guys, he probably isn't your second best player. He's probably your third best player. And that's, that's not a big deal. And by the way, I said this before, I'll say it on this podcast, his contract is totally fine for a number three guy. Totally mm-hmm. fine. There's, there's because he got paid and it's a hundred million dollar contract and I get all that. There was and I, I get why this is, but just if you if you look at the um, economics of the NBA, a guy making twenty three to twenty seven million, which is what Collins is going to be doing during, during his contract right now, it's twenty three million dollars. That is a number three salary. It's not a number two salary. Look around at the league. The teams like he's not he's not making the max. There's this like every once in a while I'm like, oh, he's making the max. He's not making anywhere close to the max. He's right. not making the max. He's not. So I won't go down that road too far. But all that said, I agree with what you said. Like he he's very good in a lot of different ways, and he's super versatile. And I'm glad you brought it up because the Capella thing gets for it's crazy because you and I, especially during the pandemic shutdown and all this stuff, we spent so much time talking about how it was going to work with with Capella and Collins. Sorry, with Capella and Collins, and and rightly so. It what it's not. By the way, even now, it isn't perfect. It will never will never be perfect. And they knew right. that when they did it. But they got a great deal on Capella. Capella's been great. But part of the reason why that can work, a huge reason why that can work, the guy who's changed his game is Collins, not Capella. Collins has, right. has molded his game effectively enough. And again, this year, I have this stat right now on my notes. Okay, this year, with Collins and Capella on the floor, they had a plus five net rating. That is way better than their, than their team net rating. They are, they have, for both years, they've played very well with those guys playing together. And that's a credit to both of them. Don't get me wrong, but especially to Collins, because he's the one that changed his game. He became more of a pick-and-pop guy. He became more of a perimeter guy on offense. Uh, defensively, he's having to play on the perimeter a lot because Capella's not going to fly out there in the way that other guys do. So, like, you have that. And then I know for a long time, and I was one of these people too, that thought Collins long-term was going to be a center. And I think in a lot of places, he would have become a center. That would have happened. But in, the, in, in Atlanta, playing with Capella is the best place. And look, if you had a center that was – you mentioned the guys earlier talking about Gallo guys – if you had him with Maxi Kleber, Collins is the center a lot of the time. Like that would be right. what you would do, and it would work. <laughs> uh, it's just that with Capella, he's obviously has to be the four. So anyway, I'm super high on Collins. I know you are too. That does not mean you can't trade him. I'm with you. Like he's got to be available. But uh, I don't think that you should go into this offseason looking to move him. But they might. And that, that's on the table. He's been in so many rumors the last two years that it's not going to shock anybody, including us, if, if they trade him. Like that's just the reality situation, but the two-way value of that guy, uh, and I, I know his production. If you want to say his scoring average is down for four years for the last three years in a row, I get it. His rebounding average is down 
By the way, it wouldn't matter who you put on the floor at the four. The rebounding is going to go down. If you're playing the guy with, with, with Capella a lot, Capella is going to eat you up on rebounding. It, just, it is just what it is, and he's great at it. But, like, if, if that's what you're pointing to on John Collins, oh, he stopped rebounding. Like, go look at who he's playing with. That's literally all of it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. sorry, that was a long rant from me. But I just think that uh, he's still really undervalued, and I think he's still, like, a top 50-ish guy in the league. Um, yeah, the injuries sucked this year, and by the end of the year, they also hurt him. Like, he wasn't the same guy. In the playoff series, I would personally – throw the heat series out for Collins almost entirely. He just totally. wasn't healthy. We all know that. And unfortunately, that's the that's the time of year that a lot of people watch games for the first time or at least really watch games hard for the first time and he mm-hmm. was a shell of himself. And that's unfortunate. But like if you watch him at full health, you could tell very easily he wasn't healthy. So, I'm done talking for a second, Glenn. Sorry. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're looking for a daily fantasy option this time of year, check out the award-winning app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it. I know that you will too. It's so very easy to use. That's part of the charm of Prize Picks. All you have to do is pick two to five players and over/under on their projections. If you do that, win up to ten times on the entry. It's just you get the projected numbers. Makes it very easy to play, and an entire entry can be made in just a minute or less. It's very timely as a result of all of that. Prospects is also safe, and they offer fast withdrawals, and they have props on almost anything, anything you can think of. That includes points and rebounds, assists, even steals on the basketball side. And mixed sports entries are available as well. If you like soccer or MMA, baseball, et cetera, you can pair stuff together, use those skills at the very, very same time, and also sweat things. It's always a lot of fun to uh, compete in this very simple way. And for limited time, Prospects is an exclusive offer for all of our users and listeners, and that's a, actually a no-brainer, really. $50 for free if a player in your first Prospects entry has even a single point. All you have to do is use the promo code NBA when you go there. That's right, exclusively for Locked On fans. Sign up today, use the promo code NBA, $50 for free if a player in your first entry scores even a single point. Check it all out today at Prospects. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar, and just imagine dipping your finger into that plastic tub of birthday cake frosting. Then imagine opening your eyes and realizing it was only 150 calories, 16 grams of protein. That is what it's like, almost to the T, to eat a birthday cake puff from Built Bar. I just received a box of birthday cake puffs, and I've never had anything like this before, really. They're available right now, and we can't promise anything that they'll actually still be available tomorrow, so go get them today at Built.com. If you haven't tried the puffs yet, I don't want to really know what you're waiting for. I've been trying to tell you about them for a while and make every day your birthday with Bill's birthday cake puffs. Bill has taken the delicious experience of biting into that fresh slice of birthday cake and robed it in 100% white chocolate and added sprinkles to the mix. And with only 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, 9 grams of sugar, with limited time flavor is an amazing option if you're looking for a healthy way to get flavor and variety in your day. All Built Puffs and all Built Bars overall have 100% real chocolate on the outside. That means with Built, eat healthy and you can actually enjoy doing it. They also have collagen protein, which helps your body to absorb more efficiently and provides health, tons of health benefits along the way. Go to Built.com for everything you need to know about Built Bars and Birthday Kick Puffs are available now. Please use the promo code LOCK15 when you get there as well. Promo code LOCK15 will get you 15% off on your order with Built Bar. One more time, that's promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. Yeah, I, I think the Miami series is a good point. Throw it out, except for the fact that he gave them what he had, right? And, you know, he 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 was like, I'll take the court, even though I have the foot issue and I can't, I got the hand issue, I can't finish at the rim. Somehow he made like half of his three-point shots, even on tidy volume or or whatever. But with a, with, know, a, with, a, with a finger that was like, you know, triple triple the size right. of his normal yeah. finger. Yeah, but, but he went on the court and gave the, especially once Clint went down, right? He was like, okay, I need this, I, I've got to find a way to kind of get myself ready to play. And I give him a lot of credit for that, you know. Interestingly, you know, when I kind of think about where does Collins go from here, there's a few things to kind of touch on that we both touched on here. One is 
if he heard us say he can't be the second best player on a on a contender, he would disagree with us. Yeah, he wouldn't like that. Wrong. It's okay. Like that, which is totally fine. Totally fine. Because and I recall, I think he was on the Woj pod, like say two years ago. I'm not sure that it was Woj, but I think it was Woj, where he was asked like, "What's your future?" And he threw out the name Giannis. Right. He wanted to be in that volume kind of role and have things built around him. And so I think my personal view, not having basis on any intelligence or reporting thing, that one of the reasons that he's been in some trade rumors is I think there's been some fair question on the part of the Hawks organization. Is he going to want a bigger role than we think makes sense for our team? Right. Because he wants to be an all-star and he believes he can do it. And that's dry. Right. So that's a fair thing to think about. Like in, in, in the modern, you know, sports leagues, the good teams ask themselves, like, are we going to do better by him if we have a chance to move him, give him more of what he wants, so more of what he can buy into by moving him to a team that will give him all that opportunity? That was a little bit of the idea probably behind the Cam Reddish trade, even though that didn't work out at all for Cam in New York this year, right? One of those things to your point is that this is, one of the, this is where a rebuild gets a little bit sticky because the year before they brought in Clint, the year before, like, his, his county, he averaged 21 and – what 21 and 10, 21 and 11 for a full season. Right. Like he had yep. a 2010 Uber efficient season. And like in his third year, like guys don't do that. And from there, his reward and granted the team got better and it was, a, it was the right decision, but like his role got smaller. And if you're Collins, I get why that is not like your favorite thing in the world. Like I, I can't totally. just put yourself in his shoes a little bit. I'm not saying it's like perfect for the team, but I can see why he wouldn't be like, he's not been a problem child by any means. There's no bad Intel no. there. It's just no. that, Look, when your role used to be that, and now you average 16 points a game because you have to play smaller, and you're the guy who made a lot of the adjustments. Because, like, honestly, of everybody on the team the last two years, whose game made the biggest adjustment? You could you probably argue, you could probably argue it's been Collins, and it's because of Clint mostly. But even just outside of that, like he's playing with a Kong now, that's that's different. And like, I don't know, it's just his his all you can eat stuff from two years ago. It's just it's not there anymore, and I right. I get that. Yeah, totally, and. And I think the proof that he's not a problem child is if he did a game where he gets seven shots, you compare that to a game where he gets 17 shots. The effort's no different. His engagement's oh, no different. Right? He, plays so, he plays so hard. That's the thing. Like, I should have said this too in my long rant, but he, of all the guys on the roster, I'm not saying he plays the hardest, like just full stop, but like he's he's the guy that who mo- the motor always runs. Collins' motor yeah. runs. Um, yeah. Even to the point where we joked, I mean, you and I have offline, online, like, I wish he'd pedal off sometimes when they're up 30 or down 30 in the fourth quarter or in summer league back in the day when he's like, he's going 120 miles an hour in summer league. The call, John, relax. It's okay. But like he, he just plays hard. That's what he does. Yeah. He plays hard. Yeah, totally. And, and I, and I agree with that, but I mean, there's still maybe a thing like where the conversation that he's John, if you, if you want to really elevate your game and pursue being an all-star, you know, you, you know, the conversation even last year is when he was a restricted free agent was, do you want to go out and see if you can find an offer sheet from a team that might give you that opportunity? Then we'll have to decide if we'll match it or not. That's, I think that's a healthy type of kind of, you know, off the court conversation with the agent, probably mostly and things like that. Right. Cause John seems like a very focused player. Um, but I mean, just fair to say he would disagree with us and that's fine. That's totally normal. Uh, and I, I don't think it makes him right necessarily, but it's fine to have that kind of a disagreement. He believes in himself as he well should. Um, the other kind of things that I think about is two things with him. One is he might be at a point now, especially with where the league is going, that in order for you to maximize his value, he needs to spend uh, uh, more time at center than he has been. I think this year he spent 
six, according to basketball reference, 6% of his time at center. Uh, last I, year, was, I, believe, I believe that too. That's, that sounds yeah. about right to me. Yeah. Um, last year was 14%. Akongwu was late coming into the season. Clint was a slow ramp up and stuff like that. So we understand kind of how that was. But I think if you're kind of thinking about him in isolation and constructing a situation for him, he probably needs more of a two-thirds, one-third time between power forward center, the way the league is going to make yep. that work. And if you have Capella and Akongwu, there really aren't going to be any minutes for him there. Um, but when you look at how, for example, how Toronto plays, right, and you'd want to kind of try to match that up. JC at the five is a good kind of fit there. If you even against Miami with the way that Bam works, especially with their second unit, you know, John can kind of get, get away from there. So that's something to think about that when they look at rebalancing this roster is, are they going to open up some time for him at center? I think that makes sense in a vacuum. I'm not saying that's the, the primary basis for moving either Clint yeah. or Kongwe, right? The other, the other thing I think about with John is going back to what I mentioned with Gallo, the kind of switching they did this year, which is a, re, a live read, a live communication, and everyone reacting there. In my assessment, John is the best big on the team at that, even better than Clint in that area, right? Clint is an awesome anchor. He structures your defense. He organizes your defense. But when it comes to someone who is – John is a really verbal person, and he's, he talks a ton. He talks more than anybody else on the court on the team by far, in my view. And when he's up at the level of screen and trying to decide, like, my teammate, say, Herder, is going to get through here or not, he makes that read. He's not going to get there. I'm going to switch on him. I'm going to call that switch, and, and, and that's all going to work. And the way that they play their red scheme, which is the one through four switching, which we don't have time to kind of break it down, <laughs> but he's back and reading the play, calling the switch for the two defenders yeah. engaged at the, at the ball screen. And I think he is – the quickest with those comms, he's the loudest with those comms, he's the most gazed and spirited with those comms. And if they are going to go into next season with a lot of kind of live read based scheme, he is an excellent fit there and he's even more valuable in some ways at center. I would still try to line those minutes up with the other team having their second unit on uh, to make that work. But he, if they're going to carry that part of their defensive scheme over, he has more value to you defensively than if you're going to play some other scheme that doesn't include such um, so many frequent live reads on the floor. And that's just a, a important thing to kind of kind of call out. I think a Kongu kind of gets there. I think Kongu was a, a fast processor and stuff, but that's probably going to take you know two more years to get to where John is now. And you understand how long John's been in the league, and then a Kongu was on that trajectory. It kind of all makes sense. So. On offense, like the versatility he gives you to play the diver or the guy who's spotting up or floating to the rim in the single screen or the double drag screen, just all that versatility is great. On defense, I think mixing him between power forward and center, getting him center minutes against other team second unit, and giving him those live reads and that communication role, a lot of value. And, and I feel like, understandably, people who watch the Hawks more casually and don't kind of press into all the nuance Again, was not saying that critically at all. You watch sure. however you want to watch, right? But yeah. I feel like I feel like some of that can be missed, and that's where, understandably, I think some of the frustration with him comes. In my view, today's show is brought to you by Bet Online, and baseball is rocking and rolling right now. Of course, in mid-May, and the NBA playoffs are still ongoing. 
Things are heating up right now. Conference finals time, of course, in the league. And with that in mind, betonline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and information this year and really any year. From all the latest odds, contests, futures, player props, exotics, and much more, BetOnline is the best spot for all the latest developments across the sports world. That includes podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season, not just basketball or baseball either. BetOnline has all of what you want in sports wagering information and every need you can possibly have. That includes live betting, that has poker, they have casino games, and more. BetOnline has Odds on all the sports that you can possibly think of. That includes golf and esports, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, MMA. They have boxing and hockey, soccer, cricket, entertainment bets, and much more. And it's a great time to look at the future stuff as well. NFL is looming, of course, in the fall. College basketball, college football, futures markets are still available as well. All that future-facing stuff is available at betonline.net. Head there right now today to learn more about all the trends and the action across the sports world. BetOnline, where the game starts. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I think just in general the defensive liability um, scouting report is just outdated with Collins. Like I think he's just yeah. There's certain matchups where like you don't want him to chase around a, a high end wing defender and like sorry a high end wing on defense and like sometimes in the modern NBA at the four you're asked to guard a wing and that's like that's tough a wing a wing kind of player. He's not great at that. He's not, but like he's still a good athlete. He's not terrible at it. He's just that's not his strength, but. It's important to note, like, this isn't gospel either, but some of the advanced metrics, like your Raptor EPMs, like, see him as a positive defender. At least slightly positive. Like, and, I, and I kind of agree. I think he's not, again, he's not a game changer there, but, like, he does his job. He, to your, just, to your point just now, he talks a lot. He's in the right place more often than not. He's still a really good athlete, obviously. He's got good size, especially at the four. At the five, yeah, he's limited at the five. And that's the thing about him playing center in a lot of places would be that defensively, he's not a great anchor. Like Capella is a great rim protector. Collins can do that as a secondary, but if he's if he's your guy on the back line, that's not great. It's okay. And honestly, one of the reasons why they haven't played him more at center, at least they haven't been able to, the biggest reason is that they have Capella and Kongwu. But beyond that, they don't have a great four to pair with him. That's like kind of a roster thing. Like if you try to go small and play Hunter and Collins, that's not great defensively in terms of like what – Hunter does well, which we'll come back to on a later podcast, and what Collins does well, and rebounding and other problems. Like, they don't have the prototypical four to play with him either on the roster. Um, Offensively, it would be Gallo. That that actually works quite well. But defensively, Gallo and Collins is not perfect. Right. In addition to that, if one thing you would lose by playing him at center, say, like, as his full-time position, is that because he's undersized and such, He's going to uh, run into foul trouble that, you know, he's oh, yeah. so valuable offensively. You probably lose four minutes a game around there, which is, that might not sound like a lot, but it's a lot. But that's a lot. Um, I mean, and, and I think, I think that's the, honestly, like we both said, even when we both talked about him playing more center, I want to make sure people know this. Like he's still a primary four. Like even what you said, play more center, it's two thirds, one third versus right. you know, 90, 10. Right. I do think that on a lot of teams, he'd play a lot more center. And that again, goes back to, roster because you've got to play a Kongwu. Like you, you've invested in the Kongwu. Capella's awesome as it is. And then you have this guy who you've drafted and is really good and really fun. And he's a center right now. So like, where do you even play Collins? Like you're just hoping for, hoping that's the wrong word. You're uh, waiting for an opportunity when somebody's not playing that night to play Collins at center basically, or you're closing with him because you're down by eight points with four minutes to go. You have to score whatever it is. Like they're not planning to play him at center right now. And I, I totally get why it's just that on a lot of teams, he would be doing that a lot more. For sure, yeah, yeah. He's there as if Capella gets you know two early fouls or whatever. You know, he can slide over and, and give you competent play there. Yeah. And like you said, if you need to close small, he can slide in there and give you max shooting lineup. You know, and max offense lineup and things like that. 
super valuable. So I, I know, I, I know it sounds like I, I should have a John Collins t-shirt. It, it, it's more so of like, I feel like I feel an instinct to kind of not drown out the other part of the conversation, but just kind of, I'm kind of get... with you. No, <laughs> listen, uh, we're, we're, we're both, we're, we're both going to sound low compared, compared to a friend of the podcast, recent guest, Tyler Jones, who's even higher on Collins than we are. So we're going to sound, sound reasonable compared to Tyler. Um, hi, yeah, Tyler. I mean, we're uh, in the, you're, you're in the middle again, Brad. You're in the middle. Yeah. I, I live in the middle <laughs> as people know, but no, I, I think just generally speaking is sort of like we do with Gallo, like we're obviously both pretty high on Collins. I think that he's not untouchable. We've said that multiple times, but um, I think there is a real reality where he's traded and that would not surprise me. It shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, we don't know how the Hawks feel. We don't know how John feels. I mean, th- sometimes players communicate with management that they wouldn't mind a trade or uh, whatever. I'm not saying that's happened, but with, with Reddish, like we didn't know that happened for months and months and months and that it happened. Um, I think Collins obviously is a different kind of player than that. Um, so there's all kinds of scenarios behind the scenes but, you know, provided he's back, he's a really good player. He's, uh, for me, I mean, this is obviously arbitrary, but like a top 50-ish guy in the league, and that's there's a real value there. I think that, just for the record, uh, this is not like your area of expertise, Glenn, but I think Collins is on a um, supremely movable quality contract. There's been this notion now that he is uh, like albatross in some ways. Like some fans are like, well, he's untradeable now. It's like, what? No. Like I have asked people around the league that would know things that I just, I will not cite individually. They're like, no, they could move Collins in two seconds. Like that's still like, he's not on a huge value anymore. He's not making $10 million. And he's this great contract, but like, that's still a good contract. So that too, like that makes him even more movable though. That's the thing. Like teams want him because he's really attractive in a lot of ways. Like he finishes and everything we just talked about, like teams know, like, Casual fans may not, and some people may not. Some teams might even might not love Collins, but there will be a market if they want to move. We'll see. Agree. It, and in some ways, like I, I'm not the CBA expert, and I don't monitor <laughs> the cap sheet like like our friend Bob does, and, and like you do, and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's sometimes it's easier to move a guy at that range because other teams have guys who are making a similar salary that they they need a partner to make a deal, yeah. and they might give you a young guy in two picks or whatever, right? To to send you some you know, negative, really not truly negative salary and stuff. But, but I mean, I, I don't, I, I kind of hesitate to say this, but he's not in a Tobias Harris situation where he's no. on a max contract and clearly can't be one of the first two guys there. He's I think making Max, $10 million less than Tobias Harris per season. Right. $10 million he's, less. Right. He's not out of the situation like Otto Porter was when he went on his second contract in Washington, where it's like, should he be playing starter minutes? Like, you know, it, that's not where he is at all. Um, but, you know, it, it, I, I understand not everyone. I, I mean, I'm a, a, I, if I graded my interest in like studying <laughs> cap, cap sheets and CBA, I'm like a B minus on my good days, right? Things like that. But I, but I have no doubt that, that he's movable and I know enough to say, like I said, sometimes guys are a little easier to move when they get in that range because you could pair them with other stuff, salary that other teams have. Yeah, he's also uh, again. He'll be he's 24 now. He'll be 25 in September. He is smack dab in the middle of his prime. Um, even though the contract is long, it is over in his 20s. It's not like there's like any any worry about it, like being an albatross at the end, even barring an injury or whatever. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I think we did a pretty good job of uh, of painting a picture on John. We like John um, on both ends of the floor. I think that's my biggest thing always, especially, especially compared to national conversations is that Collins for me is a pretty significantly underrated defender. I, I do believe that at this point. And this comes to someone who 
I openly ranted and raved about how bad he was in college and how bad he was as a rookie. Like he used to be pretty bad. Like I'm that's not even I wrote I wrote a draft profile. I wrote a draft profile piece for you because I was like, uh, the defense don't think that's gonna be he's come a long (laughs) way defensively. And I think look, that that happens sometimes. Like you gotta get honestly, Kevin Hur's a lot of the same way. Um, not in the same ways, but like there's those there's there's this outdated notion that a guy is a bad defender and it takes a long time for that to go away. And with Collins, I think it still hasn't gone away. And he's also a non-traditional. Well, I guess he actually is a traditional four. He's not traditional now because most teams most teams play a wing at the four a lot, and he's not a wing. But anyway, we've yeah. gone too long, Glenn. But thank you for coming on the podcast. We'll have yeah. more in the future, I'm sure. Please plug anything you got going on. I know we are in the off season now, but you're always doing something. Yeah, uh, just helping with um, kind of off season coverage of Peace Street Hoops and chiming in. I, you know, it's funny. I recall the day Capella was traded for. I wrote. A thought piece on what oh, what is this going to look like and a big part of that was John Collins right so yep. so w- when the Hawks make a deal potentially or on draft night or after, on the day after the draft I might write something that says hey here's how I see this kind of working and things like that so you can follow my work there uh, on Twitter you, uh, you can see my handle there if you're on YouTube at Willis underscore Glenn and then you know I, I think I'm allowed to briefly mention this other podcast that I'm on regularly with uh um kind of your frenemy uh kevin chenard <laughs> atl 29 so um you know he and i are probably going to ramp back up uh next week taking a little bit of a break here um but before we know it you know we're going to be talking about draft prospects uh, i know you're already getting into that on your podcast and i've enjoyed um uh you know the folks that you've already had on there and know that they're going to kind of keep coming and stuff like that but kevin and i will talk about probably the guys coming through Atlanta and guys he's seeing. And then when we get closer to the draft, when there's a little bit of kind of rumor, potentially rumor starting to stick about who they might be interested in, (laughs) dig into that. Listen to Brad's podcast for the deep, deep dives uh, there. And Kevin and I will give you kind of old man uh, sticking a toe into the draft (laughs) kind of coverage uh, over on ATL 29. So there you have it. Thanks to uh, Glenn for coming on. Uh, thanks to Kevin Chenard for content always. Hi, Kevin. Uh, but yeah, please, please subscribe to this podcast. And I definitely recommend Glenn's work in Peachtree Hoops and other places. And everybody else in Peachtree Hoops is uh, still doing great stuff, even without me. And I, I do appreciate that. And uh, yeah, one more time, subscribe to this show. We'll have more in the future. I'm not sure exactly what the schedule is, but uh, best way to find the podcast always to subscribe. And we'll be here. The, the lottery is on Tuesday. There's all kinds of stuff going on in the offseason even. So we'll be here. Thanks again to Glenn. And we'll see you all next time.